0: I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Elon Musk continues to release documentation of Twitter and the U.S. government working together to censor dissenting conservative voices. But what about other big tech companies still operating business as usual, such as Facebook and Google? While our next guest is author of Google Leaks, Zach Voorhees worked as an engineer at Google before blowing the whistle on the company's alleged censorship practices. I asked him what he discovered during his time working at Google.
1: I kind of was an AI whistleblower, like essentially, like that's what it comes down to, because I exposed Google's secret censorship system, which they denied that they had, um, and it was called machine learning fairness. And, uh, and along with that, I you know, leaked a bunch of blacklists, and uh, now I've sort of been validated by all the stuff that we've been seeing coming out of Twitter and the Twitter files, you know? and now I suspect that a lot of the blacklists that I was actually looking at, um, I'm starting to ask myself, was the FBI, did they have like some backdoor uh, to report things that they wanted to have banned? And now that we're seeing that that's confirmed within Twitter, I think that some of the other big social media companies might also be dirty and suffering from the same thing. I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but from a,
0: you know industry professional's perspective, especially a unique one through your lens being at Google, how are you processing everything that's coming out right now?
1: You know, the way that I'm processing it is uh, I knew that something like this was happening. Um, it seems like it's worse than what people expected, but it seems to be on par with what I've seen. And so um, I just know that whatever story that we have right now, it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And that's the common thread, that it's always worse. Yes, the FBI did have access into Twitter's like censorship. Yes, I believe that they also had it with Facebook, and they also had it... With YouTube and they also have it with Google, but it's just yet to be exposed at this point. So um, I'm sort of waiting with bated breath for more information to come out, um, and I think that that information should come out because it's very critical to you know the underpinnings of our democracy.
0: Now I'm sure that you still have uh, some connections back in in California and Silicon Valley. What do you think the general consensus is right now among a lot of those folks?
1: Well. Um, like a lot of the people that are like the deep left their their minds sort of went crazy with Trump and now that Trump's like kind of you know 2 years old now like he hasn't been president they've sort we of moved, gone yeah. back to normal and it's kind of like oh what do we do um, you know, obviously they've just been psyoped by the vaccines. They didn't work. Can I say that? I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, yeah. But you know, we're still in this. You know, technically this this pandemic. Uh, the vaccines didn't do anything. We need all these boosters, and so um, at this point, um, they've kind of disconnected a lot from politics, I believe. Yet the right is still very much motivated by all the things that we've been seeing and what's going on, and so right now it's like you have this opportunity where. Um, we're exposing, there, there's a lot that's being exposed and the leftists are like, oh, well, it turns out the conspiracy theorists were right. Once again, the FBI did have back channels into social media. It was the government censoring all these things and maybe this is not such a good idea after all. And so there's a little bit of doubt coming in, I believe, and uh, you're starting to see it now and uh, the the as these Twitter files get digested, I think that this... Voice is going to continue to grow louder. Zach
0: Voorhees, fascinating perspective. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Steve.
0: In recent years, American society appears to have been thrust into the middle of a culture war over various social issues. Many of these appear to be human rights issues, such as the trans movement or the Black Lives Matter movement. However, some have warned that behind these groups lies a Marxist agenda. One of the foremost scholars of Marxism and Communism and how these ideologies have gained a foothold in American society is James Lindsay. He's also an author and host of the podcast series New Discourses. Recently, I sat down with James and had a chance to ask him about some of his greatest concerns facing our culture and civil society.
2: Obviously, everybody's got their eyes on this stuff with the queer theory, with the drag queens, I'm very concerned, if you ask what my top concern is, I'm watching the way that the left is trolling for media stories, for things that happen, I'm watching how they're constructing their narratives, and I'm calling what I'm afraid of the Drag Floyd event, you know, George Floyd happened. Uh, I think they're trying to provoke for there to be an event, probably a violent event involving a drag queen or a trans person or something that they turn into a similar kind of like huge narrative push about rising anti-LGBT hate and all of this stuff that they're that they're trying to lay the groundwork for. And they'll use it, in my opinion, to try to put a clamp on Twitter now that Elon Musk has taken over. Almost all the articles point back to Elon as the cause of it. So it'll it'll be used to try to justify heavy-handed government action to try to get all the social media more and more and more compliant with censorship and everything else that they want it to be. This big push you know, in the trans movement seems to
0: have evolved out of nowhere. Could you kind of break it down for us? What's behind it?
2: it didn't evolve out of nowhere it's just that nobody was paying attention it, it, the trans movement the whole thing is rooted in a I laugh because it's not real academic theory called queer theory that actually emerged officially in 1984 with a paper called thinking sex by a woman named Gail Rubin and in that paper she talks about the she talks about the things we're living through today she talks about uh, the the that child porn we shouldn't be de- we shouldn't be criminalizing that she talks about boy love and how People that are boy lovers, pedophiles, can't be treated, you know, with full basic dignity and human rights. That they're they're discriminated against or stigmatized. She talks about how people should be not discriminated against for wearing fetish gear to work. And now we have, you know, Sam Brinton. Uh, the, sorry for his career, I suppose, stealing clothing from from airport carousels or whatever. <laughs> She talks about these kinds of things, cross-generational sexual relationships, which again, we see the pedophilia. This is from 1984. It's building off of the theories of Michel Foucault who was writing about sexuality in the 70s, even the 60s a little bit, going into the early 80s. This isn't new. We just haven't been paying attention to it. And it has erupted in the last, I don't know, six to eight months in a way that, that once it started to get spotted that it was happening in the schools, the gender-bred person or whatever they call it, the gender unicorn or rhinoceros or whatever they have, once that started to get called out in the schools, they went full blast and it's drag queen story hour, everything, everywhere uh, as a concentrated push. And what do you think the agenda is or ultimately the end game, if you will? I mean, I mentioned that there is the agenda to create a provocation, to create a reaction to capitalize upon the reaction for political and, and uh, social ends so a drag floyd incident but as far as the theory itself goes what if what what is it if there is no reaction it's to destabilize individuals and their connections to their family their faith and their culture that's what it boils down to if you sexualize children or you bring sexual topics into the children it's not developmentally appropriate it destabilizes them psychologically emotionally it's They've attacked childhood psychology to make sure, developmental psychology, to make sure that they can still get around to the fact that we know that that's inappropriate for children. So it's to destabilize them psychologically so they'll be useful activists. But then also, if you sexualize children, they'll divorce from their parents. Their parents are the thing they have to be protected from. The school, the club at the school, or whatever it is that will socially transition them behind their parents' back is the thing that will protect them. So you separate them from their parents and bring them into uh, what they call in the literature alternate modes of kinship, whether through an institution, whether through a so-called queer family or whatever else. And again. Faith and, you know, prevailing American culture don't agree with these things. So you make the kids say, well, we got to get rid of faith in, in American culture and have a new culture.
0: You've researched these topics thoroughly to get to, you know, the answers that you're providing. How would you say or do you say that... St- critical race theory, SEL, social emotional learning, uh, this queer theory, are they all tied together?
2: Yeah, so the best metaphor I have for that is that social emotional learning is like the hypodermic needle that injects the critical race theory and the queer theory and the disability and all the other stuff into the kids, among some other things that it does, equity framing, sustainability framing, global citizenship topics that they hit. But CRT and queer theory work together as a one-two punch where CRT makes people feel bad for their skin color and you can't get that off of you, but then adopting a queer identity lets you out of the bind. And so it creates not just a social contagion, but a pressure pump to push kids into queer identities as a resolution to the identity crisis they're having manufactured through things like CRT. So
0: James, uh, you have uh, been put into a bit of a timeout over the past few months, if you will, when it comes to Twitter. Uh, what have you learned from your mistakes? Well,
2: I just got banned from Facebook yesterday, so not much, I guess, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, permanently banned from Facebook yesterday happened. I didn't even really notice. Why? I, I made some memes um, mocking the Canadian policy of government encouraged euthanasia. The government encouraged suicide program that they have, the MAID program they call it. Uh, I made memes making fun of that and Facebook permanently suspended my account for that. But I did learn that social media is a very toxic way to have big scale conversations. Um, I've lost my enchantment with social media having been kicked off. Uh, it is both a time suck and like a psychological suck. You become less productive, more miserable. And so I've learned, I've been using it a bit heavily lately for a few specific reasons, but I've also learned that putting it down is absolutely necessary to being well, to um, being productive. Your clarity of thought, your clarity of, you know, in your relationships, the clarity of what you're doing with your life and purpose all go up. You're not thinking for the next eight seconds and then you don't know what's happening. I, I, I learned that social media is bad for you. James Lindsay, thank you so much. Well, thank you.